Hola, you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to live in the middle of a developing tourism town? Sounds great, right? Well, it doesn't come without challenges. Like most people listening, I had a steady job, lots of stress, worked my ass off so I could enjoy vacations. One day, I came to the realization that I needed to embed myself into a vacation permanently, so that's what I did. Now my home is San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. It's a small town on the Pacific coast with a population of about 15,000 people. I have a small sailboat charter business which pays the bills and leaves a bit left over to cover my habits. And even though we call it paradise, Nicaragua is still a third world country. So picture this, 36-year-old Texas guy and his two trusty Labradors are transplanted into a developing country and they're trying their hardest not to stick out like sore thumbs. These are the stories of what life is like, some good, some bad, but all entertaining. So sit back, relax, and live vicariously through me for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. And I promise you, this stuff can't be made up. Thanksgiving is over with, and to be honest, I'm pretty glad. I think most people probably share the same sentiments, but down here, Thanksgiving is a chore. This was my first Thanksgiving away from home, in a country that doesn't have turkeys. It was quite challenging, and being in a place where they don't celebrate Thanksgiving I came to realize a couple of things about Thanksgiving. The first one is preparing a meal is a lot of work. I spent about three days gathering ingredients and supplies to make turkey, mashed potatoes, dressing, and gravy. I know it sounds like a bunch of simple things, but finding cornbread mix in a country that doesn't eat cornbread was kind of difficult. The turkey was procured by my friend Lindsay, about a month and a half ago. She's Canadian, and they have, they have their own version of Thanksgiving. It's also called Thanksgiving, but it's not nearly as big as the American Thanksgiving. So they bought a turkey for their Canadian Thanksgiving and didn't use it. So luckily for me, I was able to get it and cook it on Thanksgiving. A couple other things that were hard to get were sage and poultry seasoning. And I was about an hour away from getting the ingredients to make my own poultry seasoning. So I just looked up online, what is poultry seasoning? And they list the ingredients. Well, I had all of those, or they were available to store. And when I went into the store to buy all those seasonings, I saw poultry seasoning, so I grabbed it. Something else was tough was sage. There's no sage to be found down here. And apparently, my search for sage was a little bit late, because I went to a few places that had it, but they were sold out. And I knew that all the gringos were buying Thanksgiving ingredients, which sage is a big one. But a friend of mine has a little restaurant, and they make homemade sausage, so she loaned me some sage. So Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday were basically spent 
getting ingredients and cooking. The cornbread mix was a little bit too sweet. My grandmother would not have been proud of the stuffing. Well, she would have been proud that I made it, but she wouldn't have liked the taste. And I'm okay with that. At least I had some stuffing, and it was the biggest hit of the dinner. Everyone loved the stuffing the most. Turkey was good because we smoked it on a big green egg. Can't go wrong with those. Mashed potatoes were a little bit soupy, but I hadn't made mashed potatoes but one or two times in my life, so I didn't expect them to turn out as fluffy as my Aunt Carol's. Something else that I learned about cooking Thanksgiving dinner is that one of the reasons why it takes so much work is because all the dishes, like you almost have to prepare them twice. And by that, I mean to make the stuffing, you've got to cook cornbread. And I guess some people cook their own white bread to mix in there, but I cheated and bought my own white bread for that. But I did make the cornbread. And to make the mashed potatoes, you've got to boil the mashed potatoes first. And I know boiling mashed potatoes doesn't sound like a lot of work, but my stove puts out just enough heat to boil water in a big pot only if you have the lid on it. So imagine if you take that big pot and you fill it full of potatoes. I think it took me about two hours just to boil the potatoes. I also had to peel those suckers. And down here the potatoes are real little, so my hands are not real little. So trying to hold a little potato in a big hand with a potato peeler, it required a little bit of dexterity. But I got it all done. Everything was turned out pretty good. Had like 17 people over. Everyone brought a side dish, so we had way too much food. And while eating Thanksgiving dinner, and now mind you, there was, I think three or four of us were American, and the rest of the people were all Canadians or Nicaraguans. But I came to realize that Thanksgiving is just a holiday centered around eating one meal. And I know that everyone says, oh, we give, you know, give thanks for the things that we're thankful for and the pilgrims and the Indians. But it all boils down to cooking this one meal and all the stress that goes into it. And it feels so much better when it's all cooked and cleaned up and Thanksgiving is over. Now, the, the meal is awesome. It's great to spend time with family. But man, it's a lot of pressure. And I know why now people argue and fight around Thanksgiving time because it's like a huge production. And I've seen it growing up. I've seen it my whole life. But I've never been responsible for the entire meal until this time. But explaining to these Canadians, like, so, so what do you guys do on Thanksgiving? And I, my response is, well, we normally drive to someone else's house, normally out of town, and we cook dinner and watch football. And they're like, that's it? And there's no parades? I said, well, there's one parade, and it's like in New York, and everyone watches it on TV. But mainly, we just eat. Because Americans love to eat. And I'm proud of that. But I think of everyone that came over, including myself, I think Ronnie was happier about Thanksgiving than anyone else. And the reason for that is because he got about 15 pounds of leftovers. After the meal, everyone left. And I looked around and thought, what am I going to do with all this food? And I was like, well, I'll just feed it to the pigs. And I said, no, I should probably give it to Ronnie and Felipe. So Ronnie comes over the next day, and I go, I called him the night after we finished. I said, hey, bring some containers. I got a bunch of food. You can take it home with you. And he goes, okay. So he shows up with like two containers the size of a, like a sour cream container. And I said, oh, you got some containers? And he goes, yeah. And I said, all right, come here. Let me show you what all food you're going to take home. And I showed him everything, and he goes, no. And I go, Yeah. 
And so he's like, oh, man, that's mucho. I said, I know, I know. He said, I can't take it all home. So I agreed to give him a ride home to, to carry all his food because normally he rides his bike. On the way driving over to his house, he showed me a picture of a snake that was inside of his house that he killed. And it was about five feet long. He said it was poisonous. I didn't recognize it. Either way, a five-foot snake in a house needs to die. So he showed me this picture of him holding up this dead snake in his living room, smiling. And you know how some people, when they hold up snakes, they're like, they try to pick up the snake with just using the least amount of their hand as possible. Like they just grab onto the little tip of the tail or they grab it with two fingers right behind the skull. Ronnie grabs that thing like a water hose. He just got his hand clenched around it in the middle of his body, its head hanging out one side of his hand and the tail hanging out the other, holding it up, smiling, proud of his kill like it was a trophy. And so he showed me that picture, and then when we got to his house, he wanted me to come inside and check out his house and see where he killed the snake. Now, I've talked a little bit about his house before, but I'd never been there. I'd just seen pictures. It's basically just a shack that's 20 feet by 20 feet. It's got a dirt floor, corrugated tin roof, um, one light hanging from the corrugated tin roof in the living room, and the same thing in the bedroom. Two lights in the entire house. Uh, the kitchen consists of a sink basin and a small little area where they build a fire and cook over the top of the fire. No appliances, no oven, no microwave, no stove, and there's a hammock in the living room that they put the baby in while they sit in the little plastic chairs and watch a TV. And I didn't really know how to react. I mean, I kind of expected that he would live in a place like that just because that's what people do here. They're young, they're starting out, they're making minimum wage. There's no loans for anything. You can't borrow money to buy a house. There's nothing. You're basically starting from scratch. And um, also, there's no running water in the house. There's a little latrine outside where they use the restroom. So there's no bathroom. There's no shower. He showed me where they take a shower, and it's like a wooden pallet that's outside. And they climb up to the roof, and they put water in a tank. And then they cut open a valve, and they wash. It was definitely eye-opening. But I don't feel sorry for him, and, and here's why. Because he's happy, and he wants to work as much as he can to get himself a better life. And he'll, he'll get that. Now, it's not going to come with ease, but the harder he works, the more money he's going to make and the better he'll be able to do for his family. And I respect that so much more than these layabouts in the States that aren't satisfied with having a waterproof house over their head with carpet flooring. And those people aren't willing to work. And Ronnie lives in some conditions that most people would say he's homeless. And yeah, he'd like to have a bigger, nicer house, but he's happy to have his own house. He's happy to not have to be living with his in-laws or with his parents. He's happy to have a place he calls home and know that he can go and hang out and still spend time with his family. He doesn't feel sorry for himself. He just wants to work so that he can do better. And that's what happened the other day. Mario, the guy that normally covers for Ronnie, didn't show up for work. Ronnie gets one day off a week, and that's Friday. Mario didn't show up. But I needed to get into the little uh, shack where the pig feed is kept so I could feed the pigs. No one was there. And I don't have a key to the shack. So I called Ronnie. I said, hey, is there a key hidden somewhere? Or does Felipe have another key to the shack? I need to get in and feed the pigs. And 
first thing he said. This is 9 o'clock in the morning on his day off. Okay, I'm on my way. I was like, no, 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 it's okay. I'll, I'll come get the key. He's like, no, 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 tranquilo, just stay there. I'll, I'll bring it up there. I was like, all right, man. So he rides his bicycle up here, gets the key, opens it up, and he's like, where's Mario? I said, I don't know. He's not here. He said, okay, well, I'm going to work the rest of the day, and I'm going to stay here during the nighttime too because Mario normally stays at night on Friday night so Felipe can have the night off. And I tried to explain to him, like, that's okay, man. Just take your day off, go home. Like, no one needs to be here. It's fine. He's like, no, 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 no. I want to work. And so to me, the light bulb went off and says, okay, he's going to get paid for this. And that's, that's what he wants to do. And so he hung around, worked all day and then stayed around all night. And he's the kind of guy that at nighttime, he won't sleep when he's working and he's the, the cuidador, the, the watchman. He walks around all night with his machete and his flashlight, walks through the woods, beats around the grass, make sure there's no bad guys. And I think that that's not necessary at all. But I think it's his pride, and he's thinking in his mind, like, I'm getting paid to work, I'm going to work, I'm going to do my job. And so the least I could do is give him 15 pounds of food. And he was very grateful for it, and he said they ought to be able to eat on it for about two weeks. And that's after he gave half to Ismael. I asked him what his favorite food was. I said, of all the meals, of everything that you have had in your life, everything you've eaten, your mom's cooking, what's, the, what's your best meal? He sat there for a second. I thought he was going to say, you know, shrimp or fish or lobster. And he said, my favorite meal is beans, rice, cheese, and avocado. And that's a typical campesino meal. So campesino is like someone who lives out in the country, away from the city, like a country boy. And that's like the, that's their staple meal. That's what they'll eat. They'll eat that three times a day, seven days a week. And he said that's his favorite food. And so you got to understand that people don't care about food unless their basic, basic needs are met. If they have food, that's good, but they're not going to spend any time or resources in improving the experience of eating. And I just wonder what he thinks when he sees me cooking a turkey for 12 hours and spending three days preparing one meal. No matter what I ask him, he's not going to tell me anything negative or derogatory or what. But I wonder if he thinks it's just a luxury that I have so much free time that I can spend all this time preparing food and then having so much of it that I got to give it away. And that's another thing that's funny about Thanksgiving. We sit around, we talk about what we're thankful for. And most of the things that we're thankful for are basic, basic things. People say friends, they say family, uh, it's their, their home, regardless of their home, they're thankful for it. But then we go overboard in this meal, this giant gluttonous meal, which I'm not knocking. I think it's hilarious. It's a great tradition. And then the day after that, we go fight to get in lines to buy things. But we don't ever mention the things that we stand in line to buy when we're mentioning what we're thankful for. And so it's been a couple of days now since Thanksgiving. Today's Sunday, and this all went down on Thursday. And so I asked Ron, I said, what do you think about the, uh, the chicken that I cooked? Because I cooked a couple chickens to go along with the turkey because we had so many people. And he goes, oh, I want to show you a picture. So he walks over and shows me a picture of his son who's, I think, 10 months old, maybe 11 months. He cannot walk yet. He can sit up, but he can't walk. And his son's got this jump, drumstick in his hand, just gnawing on the drumstick. And so that got me to thinking, like, you know, he doesn't buy baby food. Like, and that baby will nurse probably as long is they can stand it because it's another mouth to feed. And I asked him, I said, so does he just eat 
like Whole Foods? Does he have any teeth? He goes, yeah, he's got four teeth on the bottom. I'm thinking, man, that must have been some tender chicken, and that little baby could pull it off the bone with just four bottom teeth. And uh, he said, no, he eats, he eats regular foods. You know, we just cut it up real small for him, and he loves it. And he goes, he loves Coca-Cola, he loves 7-Up. So apparently there's nothing that they don't give him. And the kid will turn out just fine. He won't eat all organic food. He won't eat non-GMO products. And he'll live, on average, just four years less than he would if he were in the U.S. Another thing that I looked for for about two days in Managua was a cast iron skillet. And for whatever reason, they don't have cast iron down here. They have cast aluminum. But I talked to some friends and I said, hey, does anyone know where I can buy some cast iron? And a couple of them told me some stores in Managua. So I went there. I walk in. I'm looking for an iron skillet. And they go, oh, yeah, we, all, we have them. We have them. And they, we marched over to the section. And it's all like nonstick, you know, skillets. And I had a picture of it on my iPad. So I held it up and I pointed it to them. And they go, yeah, yeah, right here. And then they, they pointed the Teflon ones. And so I said, no, this is a different kind. This is all steel. And they're like, no, no, these are better. And at that point, I just go, okay, I'm done here. I was like, thank you. Have a nice day. And went to a couple more. It was the same thing. They don't understand what it is about us crazy gringos and our particularly picky ways of cooking. So I'm in the market for some cast iron. I'll pay a premium for it. Time for a pig update. The other day, I was at the market just buying some produce. And my buddy, the butcher, calls me over and he said, hey, and Pedro, the butcher, he knows that I have these four pigs that now it's time to start selling them. So he introduced me to a pig buyer who they call a matador. Who else? The guy buys a pig, kills him. They take the skin and they make chicharron with it. And they render out the fat and they sell the rest of the meat to somebody, a butcher or someone else. So I met this guy, really nice guy. He goes, yeah, I'm looking to buy some pigs. And I said, okay. He said, how much do you want? I said, 7000 He's like, ah, you know, it depends on how big they are, but I need to come look at them. So I told him, okay, here's my number, call me. He goes, I'll be there about 3 o'clock. I said, okay, we're well, just calling before you come. So he calls me at 2 o'clock, and he said, hey, I'm going to be there in about an hour. I said, okay. 4 o'clock rolls around, and here he comes. Only one hour late, not that bad. So he comes up, I get to talking to him. We're walking over, looking at the pigs, and he said, oh, yeah, man, those are pretty. Um but they're still a little bit too young. He goes, you need to wait about another month, and then I can give you 7,000 cords. Which 7,000 cords right now, I'd be breaking even. So I presume the pig project is going to go into the red in about five more days. But we'll see. I'm interested to go with him. I want to see his killing operation. I want to make chicharron with him and see how he renders out the oil to sell the lard. So if nothing else, I can learn from it. And I've also learned not to raise pigs again. But a funny comment he made to me was, man, you can't make money with pigs. You should breed dogs. <laughs> and I just looked at him and I go, why dogs? He goes, because one litter of puppies for a purebred dog, and he looks at me and goes, like a Rottweiler, you can get 200 to $300 a piece for him. And I just kind of smiled and kicked the dirt. And didn't really go into it, but I would never get involved in something like that. I said, okay, if I ever want to go in the Rottweiler business, I'll let you know. And we left it at that. But it's funny. He knew better. He knew not to raise pigs. That's why he doesn't do it. He buys them from jokers like me. 
My friend Jessica recently opened her bikini shop in town, and I stopped by the other day. It was actually the first day that she was open. I stopped by just to say hi, and I walked in there, and there's a guy, an official-looking guy with a clipboard trying to talk to her, and she doesn't speak that much Spanish, especially you know business terminology. And she's like, hey, can you help me real quick? And I go, yeah, sure. So I walk in there, and she's got the electric bill, and she's shoving it in this guy's face, trying to ask him some questions about it. And he's looking at her like, uh, what are you doing? Like, that's nothing to do with me. So I start talking to him. And this guy works for the DGI, which is basically the IRS. They collect the taxes. They manage the taxes of all businesses. And I said, why are you, why are you shoving the light bill in the DGI man's face? And she said, oh, I thought he was with the light bill company. And I said, no, 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 this man's here to get your taxes. She goes, oh, okay. So she puts the light bill away. They're talking, and he needs to see some of her official paperwork that she doesn't have. She's got a Nicaraguan partner who manages all that stuff. She's like, oh, I don't, I don't have it. He said, well, you, you need to get that. You know, when can we come back? So she set a date for him to come back. And before she wrapped up things with him, someone else come waltzing in with an official-looking shirt on. And I knew right away this, is, this guy was from the Alcaldia, which is the mayor's office. And he walked in. He's got a little checklist of all kinds of stuff he's looking for, doing an inspection and, you know, seeing what she's got right and wrong. And then one thing she's missing was called a matricula, which is a, a license to do business through the mayor's office. It's basically a way for them to track all the businesses so that they can collect taxes. So anyway, so you have to get this license. It's a little sheet of paper. It's got a number on it. And by law, it has to be posted on your wall in a visible part of your establishment. So the only thing he could find that was wrong was that she didn't have her matricula posted. And he said, you know, you've really got to have that thing posted. And she goes, well, I know. Here's the number you guys have on record that you issued it. It's just I don't have it with me. My partner has it. We just haven't put it up yet. And that is a big no-no in their eyes. He said, you have to have it up. He threatened to close down the shop if she didn't have it up within 24 hours. And it's just so funny I mean, maybe that's the case in the States, too, for like a health certificate or something like that. But I couldn't see them actually shutting down the establishment if you don't have it posted. I could see them shutting it down if you didn't have the license or the certification. But not having it posted definitely wouldn't constitute somebody being shut down. And speaking of licenses, guess who has the license from Intour? That would be NikaSaleAndSurf.com. We jumped through all the hoops, went through all the rigmarole, bent over backwards, and we earned the license. So sometime last week, or maybe week before last, Gretchen had everything organized, and she's the one that's kind of helping us out. She's worked with them before. So she had all the paperwork organized, all the application was filled out, and instead of going herself to Intour, she sent her accountant, who was already going to Rivas for something, and she said, look, stop by, have him look over all this, and make sure it's good to go. And so the accountant stopped there, and she said, hey, I think it's all right. Let's just go ahead and turn it in. So the accountant turns in the paperwork, and there's no one else in the office. And they kept her there in that office for five hours. Oh, yes, five hours. So she said when she got there, they looked through everything, and they said, okay, just give us a few minutes, and we'll get it processed. And they would come back and they'd ask her about something. And she'd have to call Gretchen. And Gretchen would have to field the call and argue with them and turn them back around. And she said this went on four or five times. And it literally took five hours to get the license. 
it's just icing on the cake. Sums it all up. That's how things go. And it was well worth the $40 that we had to pay for that girl to sit there for five hours. So a lot of times things don't go your way. But it's easy to pay someone to manage the attempted strong arms by the powers that be. Okay, I think that's going to wrap it up for today. Not a ton has gone on since I was buried in Thanksgiving preparations and then buried in Thanksgiving cleanup. That would be Bentley. As I was saying before I was so rudely interrupted by one of my crazy dogs that not much has happened, so today was cut a little bit short. And there's two guys walking around on the roof that's probably going to be loud because hopefully they're going to replace it. There's now three areas inside my house where water ponds when it rains, which isn't that big of a deal. But one of them was right next to my laptop. And had it gotten rained on, would have been a big deal. Thanks again for listening. Check out our website, nikasaleandsurf.com, or send us an email, nikasaleandsurf at gmail.com. Appreciate you listening. Keep it tranquilo. Leaves are falling all around. Time I was on my way. Thanks to you, I'm much obliged. Such a pleasant stay. But now it's time for me to go. So tired.